0: The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you'll find on Etsy, Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now... On with the show. Good boys and girls, Two Footed Podcast, on Tuesday, the 11th of April. Hope you all had an enjoyable Easter weekend or Passover or whatever it is that you're celebrating. If you're committed to Ramadan this year, I hope it's going well for you. Uh, Today, we are going to do some winners and losers. We'll look ahead at the Champions League games. We'll take a little look down through the lower leagues of English football because there was two rounds of games over the weekend and we'll do some news and some gossip. But we start with news which broke yesterday that Leicester City have appointed Dean Smith as interim manager until the end of the season. He'll be joined by Craig Shakespeare, who has been his assistant at both Aston Villa and Norwich, and by John Terry, who was an assistant to Dean Smith at Aston Villa. Uh, Terry's inclusion is quite interesting. You'll remember he left Aston Villa to, A, pursue other managerial opportunities and then couldn't find another job, and, B, to spend more time with his family who are based in London. Uh, he's now moving to Leicester, which, last time I looked at the map, was more northern than Birmingham. So, you know, bizarre from John Terry, but not at all surprising. Uh, He'll want, you know, to be in the thick of the action. And to be fair, maybe he should bring his boots because Leicester just are an absolute abomination defensively. I think this is a poor decision. Look, Dean Smith came out after his announcement and said, oh, me and my staff, you know, we're used to this type of situation. Okay. Well, if memory serves, you took over at Norwich last season in November, mid-November, and got relegated. Previously, you were at Aston Villa, and you were involved in one relegation scrap there, and you would have gone down if not for Hawkeye failing for the first time in its history. So I'm not really sure I'm buying into the idea that Dean Smith and his staff are successful relegation battlers. Um, When we look at Dean Smith's career, he obviously began with Walsall. That was his first managerial job. Took over in January. Just about avoided relegation to League Two from League One. The following season, then again, Dean Smith in charge of Walsall, they finish nineteenth, just again outside the relegation zone. Uh, then, to be fair, to be fair, they did finish in ninth position then 13th and then 14th in his final season at Walsall. Uh, He did win the Football League Trophy, now known as the Papa John's Cup, uh, Papa John's Trophy, whatever it is. That was his success there. Uh, He went from Walsall to Brentford, took over Brentford in November 2015 having spent four years at Walsall winning 32% of his matches. Uh, He joins Brentford in that November. Uh, They had just sacked. uh, Lee Carsley had been appointed sacked after two months. I don't know if he was ever actually permanent manager, but they bring in uh, Dean Smith and they end up finishing ninth. So, you know, they weren't in any kind of relegation trouble when Smith took over. Uh, I think they were up to, like, 11th or 12th, and they ended up finishing um, in ninth, having at one point Under Smith dropped as low as 18th uh, after a run of 10 defeats in 13 games, which isn't exactly uh, fantastic. The following season, then, they finished 10th. Nice mid-table finish for Dean, which is what he's good at. Uh, the following season, then, they finished ninth. And then in the eighteen nineteen season, having won 39.86% of his games, uh, he left Brentford to go to Aston Villa. And to his credit, this was an outstanding season of management by Dean Smith. He, he took over a team that looked, for all intents and purposes, like they were going to just... Plod along in the lower regions of the championship, not get relegated, but not have any sort of a hope at the playoffs. Uh, when he took over, when I get this right now, he took over the 10th of October. They'd played 12 games. Uh, they were 15th they were 15th. Um, and to his credit, They went on a really good run. They lost two of his first three games and then only lost five the entire rest of the season. And obviously, there's a lot of games in the championship, but they put together a 10 game winning streak that bumped them from 11th to 5th. They finished 5th. They got into the playoffs. They edged their way past West Brom on penalties. And then they beat Frank Lampard's Derby County in the final and got themselves promoted. Having been promoted, Dean Smith then pre- pre- uh, proceeded to spend a ludicrous amount of money on some very, very mediocre footballers. Wesley, Courtney Howes, Matt Target, Tyron Mings, $9 million on Bjorn Engels. Nine million on Trezeguet, eight million on Tom Heaton, ten point two million on Marvelous Nakamba. Then in the January, he spent eight and a half million on Samata. That's about as bad as as you can spend that money. I also brought in Danny Drinkwater on loan, which was an interesting decision. They finished seventeenth, and the only reason they stayed up was that Hawkeye failed. They played Sheffield United. They should have lost the game 1-0. Instead, they got a point. And that point kept them up. Following season, again, they spend a lot of money but they spend it better bar, you know, Bertrand and Morgan Sanson, but they spend it better and they finish 11th and that's fairly respectable. They go into their third season in the league. Again, they spend a lot of money. They lose Grealish, but they buy Buendia, they buy Bailey, they buy Danny Ings. And he is sacked in the November on the 7th of November, replaced by Steven Gerrard at the time I can't remember where they were. The 7th of November. They'd played 11 games. They were 16th. They'd lost five in a row. They'd lost seven of their first 11. It was the right decision to sack him. Gerard was just the wrong replacement. But he's not out of work for long. He jumps to Norwich. And obviously, as we know, it ended in relegation. Daniel Farca had been sacked the day before Dean Smith. And Smith was chosen to replace him. They were doomed from the start. Like, there's no other way to look at it. They were doomed from the start. Under Smith, they won four games from the 27 that they played under him. They actually won the game before he took over. Farka got sacked. No, sorry, I'm wrong. Farka won his last game, then they sacked him. Then Smith came in. He wins his first game. Then they draw two. Then they lose six in a row. Then they win two in a row. They draw one. They lose six in a row. They draw one. They beat Burnley. They lose five in a row. They draw one. And then they lose 5-0 on the last day of the season to uh, finish bottom and have... One of the worst goal differences I've ever seen. Minus 61. 84 goals conceded. A shambolic season. Why he continues to play Grant Hanley, I have no idea, but that's what happened. Uh, This season then, he remains in charge in the championship. They spend a bit of money. Not a huge amount, but they're Norwich. They never spend a huge amount, but they spend a bit of money. And uh fair to say... Things didn't go to plan. He was sacked on the twenty-seventh of December. Um, they had got they had been on decent. They started badly one point from three. Then they won six in a row. They went on in nine with seven wins, and then it all just started to collapse. They lost four or five, they won a couple, they lost a couple, and then he was sacked at Christmas when it became clear that they just weren't going to uh be a team that does what Norwich had hoped to do. Now, it hasn't gone all that well for David Wagner since he took over. It's not like he's massively changed or improved things. Uh, They currently sit eighth. They're in the playoff mix, but they were in the playoff mix under Dean Smith. It's just hard for me when a manager fails in the championship like he's done this season. not, Not that it was a drastic failure, but, you know, with, with that talent that was at Norwich, with the infrastructure at Norwich, they'd have gone down thinking we're going to compete to win the league again. And they just didn't. They just didn't. So, you know, it, it does go down as a failure for him. Uh, he doesn't even last <clears throat> a calendar year in the job. You know, he's he's there 10. Oh, he is there. Sorry, he's there 13 months, November 2021 until this year, or twenty twenty. Yeah, November twenty twenty-one to December twenty twenty two. So he's there just over a calendar year, but he's been sacked. That's just not ideal. Like that's not what you really want from your new manager. You want him coming in on a high. You want a manager who's you know, who's had recent success. His success in his career is runner up in the Football League trophy. I think I said he won it earlier. He was runner-up and runner-up in the EFL Cup. He won the playoffs. That's it. In a 12-year career. Nearly 600 matches managed. He's won 35% of them. He's lost more games than he's won over the course of his career. Now, I understand that Leicester were getting a little bit desperate. they have been turned down by Jesse Marsh. I'm guessing it was a similar situation to why he turned down Southampton, something to do with contract length. They've been allegedly turned down by Graham Potter, who wants to wait till the summer before making a decision. There were some reports that they were turned down by Rafa Benitez. Now, I think he could have convinced Rafa with more money, but I'm assuming Rafa wanted, if he was going to take the job, he probably wanted next season as well. But I'd rather appointed Sam Allardyce than Dean Smith. Like, Dean Smith has shown me nothing in his career to suggest he's the man to keep this team up. That last season, when he got that job, yes, things looked doomed, but they still had 27 games to go at Norwich. And they didn't even put up a, you know, they didn't even give themselves a fighting chance. Into the last couple of months. They just continually rolled over. I think Leicester are going to take one of these relegation positions. And I think when you look at the talent in that squad, they might be the most talented group of players to get relegated from this division. Madison and Barnes are top class. Thielemans and Didi, Ricardo Pereira, I know he missed half the season, but he's very good. They've got good left-backs. The mess that Rodgers made with their central defenders and their goalkeeper is what's cost Leicester this season. Because they've had no problem scoring goals. They just can't defend. And Smith, Shakespeare and Terry now have to go in and try and change that and get this team moving the right direction with eight games left. Now, for Leicester... They've got City away. That's not going to be easy. Then they play three of the teams that are battling with them for safety. Wolves, Leeds, that's an away game, and Everton. Wolves and Everton are home, Leeds is away. Then it's Fulham away. Now, Fulham might be on the beach. That might be an easy three points. Then it's Liverpool at home. Liverpool are probably still going to be somewhat scrapping for Europe. Newcastle, they'll be challenging for top four. So they're going to want to win that game. It's at Newcastle. And then final day, it's West Ham. And they might not be confirmed safe then either. So it might all come down to that final day between those two teams. But as things stand, they're 19th in the league. They're two points behind Forrest and Everton. They're now four points behind Leeds five behind Bournemouth and West Ham, six behind Wolves, and seven points behind Crystal Palace. And this weekend, we obviously did see a bit of separation down the bottom of the league. Palace winning, Wolves winning, West Ham winning, despite getting comprehensively outplayed and winning via an own goal that should have been disallowed for a handball in the build-up. They won... And obviously Bournemouth won, whereas Leeds, Everton, Forest, Leicester and Southampton all lost. So now we have seen a bit of a stretch, but I still wouldn't deem any of them safe. I think Palace will do enough to stay up because they've got Roy and they've got the Roy Hodgson algorithm. I think Wolves should stay up because they've got the talent. They've got a good manager. West Ham have the talent to stay in the division, but they don't seem to have the desire. And Moyes, to me, looks completely lost coming up for West Ham next is Arsenal. Like, if Arsenal absolutely tonked the life out of them, then they play Bournemouth, then they play Liverpool. They'll be right back in the mix. And they've got Palace, City, United, Brentford, Leeds, and Leicester as their la- last six after these next three. So their running really hard. Bournemouth, I still think, will go down. But three wins out of five, Gary O'Neill is giving them a fighting chance. Leeds have the talent to stay up. Their performance at the weekend was an embarrassment, and we'll get to that. Everton losing to United, there's no shame in that. And they have looked better on the dice. But they're under threat of points deduction. Forest have lost their way completely. They've completely lost their way. And to me, Steve Cooper looks a little bit lost at the moment as well. I I don't understand why John Joe Shelby is starting Premier League games. I don't understand why Harry Tafolo is starting Premier League games. Someone needs to explain it to me. You've got Mangala and Froiler on the bench. They're better than both central midfielders you started. You're starting to fl- Felipe. He's awful. Cooper has lost his way a little bit here. We'll move into the winners and losers. We do that now. Uh, I, I think the Dean Smith thing, I, I think it's a bad appointment, but you have to give him a chance. We'll wait and see. We'll start off with the winners this weekend. Man City are the first big winner. So obviously they went, they hammered Southampton, they took care of business there and, and then arsenal drop points so the lead is now 6 points arsenal as city have a game in hand if city win that game in hand we're now talking 3 points arsenal have to go to the etihad if city win that game city are top so city now know that if they win out If they win their remaining nine games, which they're absolutely capable of doing, they will be crowned league champions. Arsenal now have to either hope City drop points or go to the Etihad and get something. And Arsenal have a tougher run-in than City do. Arsenal have a very difficult eight-game run-in. Relegation threatened West Ham, relegation threatened Southampton, then City away, Then Chelsea, who their entire Roman Abramovich dynasty was built off bullying Arsenal. Then the game I think that's going to be hugely decisive. Arsenal away to Newcastle. They bottled top four there last year. I could see them losing there this year. Newcastle right now, look, outstanding. Arsenal, Brighton. Brighton's going to be really tough. Then they finish with Forest and Wolves, both of whom will probably be in that relegation mix. So that's tough. I can see them losing two of those games. I think they'll lose to City, and I think they'll lose to Newcastle. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a draw there somewhere as well. Whereas for City, if they play Brighton, if They if they play Leicester next, that's a win. Then they play... Arsenal, that's, I think they'll win. Fulham away, win. West Ham home, win. Leeds home, win. Away to Everton, could be tough, relegation threatened. Home to Chelsea, second last day of the season, they should win that. Away to Brentford, be tough, but Brentford are probably on the beach by then. They've also got away to Brighton. At some point in there. And I could see them drawing away to Brighton. But I think they'll win the rest. So from their last nine games, I have them taking 25 points. From Arsenal's last eight games, I have them taking 16 points. I have City winning the league. Arsenal ending on 89 points, City winning the league by three points. That's how I think it's going to play out. City this weekend make up ground, and now we are in a real title race, and now all the pressure is on Arsenal. All the pressure is on Arsenal. And how will they deal with it? They didn't deal with pressure at all when the volume got turned up at Anfield, and that's why Arsenal will be my first big loser of the weekend, because I thought they looked very, very ragged and scared when the volume went up at Anfield and Liverpool piled on the pressure. I thought they showed major weaknesses in that game. And I think City are a far more clinical team than Liverpool. And if they get the chances Liverpool get, that game ends 5-2. Easy. Now, the other thing is, City aren't likely to give up the goals that Liverpool gave up. Liverpool were awful for the first half hour. So, I think Arsenal are a big loser at the weekend. City, big winner for sure. Next big winner for me, Newcastle. I mean, an excellent performance. They go 1-0 down. They ride their luck a bit in the first half without question. Tony misses a penalty, but then he does score. The David Rea goal, uh, the David Rea own goal, I should say, is again more luck, but the Isak finish and the way Newcastle saw the game out, I-, I thought Newcastle just did exactly what was needed in that one. Um, Next big winner then, I'm going to go Bournemouth because, you know, that's a really, really good win. Away from home, against a team in the relegation mix with them. And it wasn't just that they scored and won the game, it was that they controlled large portions of the game and probably should have got a couple more goals. They were the better team and they did a play uh, Leicester on Leicester's own patch. Next loser then, so after Arsenal it's got to be Leicester losing at home to a team in and around that relegation mix with you. And Leicester were awful. Absolutely awful. Last big loser has got to be Leeds. You go one nil up at home against another relegation-threatened team and somehow you end up losing 5-1. You can see just before the break, then you allow them to go 2-1 up and 3-1 up within two minutes of each other. And then you just don't look like a team that's going to pose any threat. Now that's a disgraceful performance. It's an outrageously bad result. I think he could tag Palace as a big winner. Again who they were playing, where the game was, the scoreline, the performance, but also the fact that a Roy Hodgson team scored five goals away. I don't know which part of that is weirder, the fact that a Roy Hodgson team scored five goals in a game or the fact that they did it away from home. Crystal Palace went into that game having scored 24 goals in 29 games. 24 goals in 29 games. they managed to score five in one game away from home. And once again, can we just take a moment to appreciate the fact that without a shadow of a doubt, Luke Ayling is the worst player in the Premier League. He is genuinely, and I don't say this to be mean, he is dreadfully out of his depth. Like, like, he screams championship and not like upper end championship, like lower end finishing 14th to 19th type of championship. Every single Leeds game, he either costs them a goal or gives up a big chance that should cost him a goal and makes other errors around that. And he was particularly awful in that game. Uh, So there we go. Arsenal, Newcastle, and Bournemouth are our winners this week. Sorry. City, Newcastle, and Bournemouth. And our losers are going to be Arsenal, Leeds, and Leicester. Leeds. Like five goals to a Roy Hodgson team at home. At home. Right. Champions League before we go to break. Tonight we've got two games. In the quarterfinals. We have Benfica at home to Inter. Benfica are in really good form. Top of the Portuguese League. And looking like a team set to win a league title. Inter very, very hit and miss. Very, very hit and miss. It's hard to know what Inter Milan you're going to get on a game by game basis because they, you know, they're the type of team that they they can put on a good performance. And we've seen it this season from them. In that game, the last game against Porto, for example. They were really good. And managed the game really, really, well. They were really good when they played Milan. They were pretty good when they played Juve in the uh, cup last week. But then they draw with Salernitana. They lose to Spezia. They lose to Bologna. Like they're just. I think they're going to miss top four this season, and and they can't even complain about it. They haven't won in the last four league games. I think Benfica should be favourites to go through from this tie, and I think Benfica will beat them tonight in Lisbon. The other game is City against Bayern. Uh, Bayern now managed by Thomas Tuchel. City starting to look very much like City. And now they have Haaland back as well, which I think adds a new wrinkle to this one uh, because... Upa Meccano has the physicality to deal with him, but he does make a lot of mistakes. I could see the De dealing well with him from a positional standpoint, but he doesn't have the speed or the athleticism to cope with him. Um, <clears throat> Bayern beat Freiburg at the weekend, having lost to Freiburg in the cup during the week they got revenge in the more important league game. Um, so that's back-to-back league wins for Thomas Tuchel over top four opponents. They beat Dortmund, now they beat Freiburg. This game is in Manchester, so I think that is obviously advantage City. But I think City need to get a couple of goal advantage here, or that second leg is going to be real dicey for them. So I'll back Benfica and City to win. I think Benfica will win the tie. I'm not sure City will. Tuchel always seems to do fairly well against Pep. Always. Even at Dortmund, he did fairly well against him. Just in terms of how he matches up with him, how he reads what Pep is going to do. This Bayern team is by far the most talented that Tuchel has ever managed, even more so than the PSG team that he had. I think Bayern can beat City. Now, what that will probably do is it'll just spur City to go on and wipe the floor with everybody in the Premier League. But I do think Bayern can beat City. I think the better games are tomorrow night, if I'm honest. But Benfica-Inter should be decent. And City-Bayern will be a good game of football between two very high-level teams, lots of technically gifted players, and two very good tacticians. So I do think that's going to be well worth your while. Uh, We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll go down through just the domestic leagues. And um, we will... Do the news and the gossip. So we'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, won't go through both sets of results because it'll just take too long and be quite boring. Uh, But we're running through yesterday's uh, Championship Huddersfield 2. Blackburn Rovers 2, Ryan Hedges with a late equaliser for Rovers there, Preston 2, Reading 1, Coventry 2, Watford 2, Luton 3, Blackpool 1, Norwich nil, Rotherham nil, West Brom 2, QPR 2, Birmingham 0, Stoke nil, Hull 1, Millwall nil, Cardiff nil, Sunderland 1, Wigan 0, Swansea 2, Bristol City 2, Middlesbrough two, Burnley two, Sheffield United nil. So Burnley, who'd already been promoted on Friday, beat Sheffield United, who were second, obviously in the league table going into the game. Uh, Sheffield, United had, Sheffield United had the goalkeeper sent off after seventeen minutes, and credit to them, they did manage to hang on until sixty before conceding. Uh, so Burnley are up. Burnley have 90 points from 40 games, which is very, very impressive. They should go on and break the 100-point margin, which is generally the sign of a, of a really, really great championship team, is if they cross that 100-point threshold. Uh, they have six games left, so 10 points to get should be should be very manageable for them. Uh, Sheffield United are still second. They are on 76 points. They have a five-point gap. On Luton, So we're going to expect Sheffield United to come up automatically. Then Luton, Middlesbrough, Millwall and Blackburn currently hold up the promotion spots, the playoff spots. So it will be Luton, Blackburn and Borough, Middlewall if the playoffs were to start tomorrow. Preston are level on points with Blackburn but have played a game more. If Blackburn win that game in hand, it'll give them a bit of breathing room. Even a point would do. Just to you know, give them some breathing room in the uh, in the playoff spots. Then we've got Norwich; they're a point behind Millwall, Blackburn, and Preston. Then it's a two-point gap to Coventry, who are still very much in the mix. Sunderland's still very much in the mix; a point back from Sunderland. Sorry, from Coventry. Then West Brom are a further point back, but they've got a game in hand, and if they win that, it'll bump them to ninth and they'd only be two points outside the playoffs. Then you've got Watford in 12th. They don't look like a team with any hope of getting into the playoffs. They look a mess. Five games left, no wins in the last four. I I would write them off. Now, West Brom haven't won in their last four either. So they've just stumbled at the wrong time. But Carlos Coburn has done a really good job, considering they were in the bottom three and he took over. Uh, Bristol City sit 13th. Mid table, 41 games played, won 13, drawn 14, lost 14, scored 50, conceded 50. Goal difference zero. That is the definition of mid table. Uh, Then it's Swansea, Stoke, Hull, Birmingham, Rotherham, Huddersfield, who've climbed out of the bottom three. Look, there are very few people in the world that dislike the current manager of Huddersfield Town, Mr. Neil Warnock, as much as me, but he has done an outstanding job since taking over, and he has gotten them into an area where they look like they might survive. Uh, Then it's QPR, who are plummeting down the table. Then Cardiff, then Reading, who've also collapsed, but also had points deducted then Blackpool, and then Wigan Athletic. Those two look gone. So it's basically one of Reading, Cardiff, QPR, Huddersfield, and I think even Rotherham could potentially go down. Um, in While I'm on the topic, in League One-related news, uh, Paul Linz has been sacked as manager of Reading uh, with five games to go. They haven't won in their last eight He took over on an interim basis in February of 2022. And to be fair to him, he actually did better than I thought he would. But the issue for Reading is if they go down financially, they are in major problems, major, major problems. They have to stay up. So this is a a desperation swing for the fences here. Now, Of course, the big question is their best player is Tomins, who is the son of Paulins. So how is this going to affect Tomins, knowing that his dad has just been sacked? Um, I I can see the logic, but if it wasn't for the points deduction, they wouldn't be in the mess. He has kept them in the division. It's the points deduction that's going to take them down if anything does. Uh, Moving on then to League One. Charlton three, Burton Albion two. Barnsley two, Shrewsbury one. Derby County one, MK Dons one. Port Vale nil, Oxford nil. Sheffield Wednesday three, Accrington Stanley nil. Fleetwood one, Bristol Rovers two. Plymouth nil, Lincoln City two. Peterborough three, Exeter one. Cheltenham one, Ipswich one. Portsmouth nil, Morecambe nil. Wickham to Forest Green and Big Dunk nil, And Bolton Wanderers won. Cambridge 1. So the league table, Sheffield Wednesday having had a big blip, get back to winning ways. They're now point clear of Plymouth and two points clear of third place Ipswich, but both Plymouth and Ipswich have a game in hand. So Sheffield Wednesday look a little bit, under under threat for that promotion spot. Now, I, I still think they'd come up to the playoffs, but it becomes dicier if you don't get up automatically. Uh, fourth place is Barnsley. Fifth is Peterborough. Sixth is Bolton. So, Ipswich, Bolton, Barnsley, Peterborough would be the playoffs based on who's there at the moment. Uh, then it's Derby, Wickham, Portsmouth, Charlton, Shrewsbury, Exeter, Lincoln, Bristol Rovers, Fleetwood Town, Cheltenham, Port Vale, Burton Albion, MK Dons, Oxford United, Accrington Stanley, Cambridge United, Morecambe, and bottom of the table is our good friends at Forest Green. And we will just once again check in on Big Dunk and see how his managerial record is going. So um, at Forest Green, 13 games, one win, Two draws, 10 defeats. That's a win percentage of 7.69 since taking over. Um, Overall for the career, he's 18 games, two wins, five draws, 11 defeats, Uh, 11.11% win percentage for Big Dunk. I think we'll be checking in on him uh, till the end of the season because it's just too funny. Uh, Moving into League 2, I'm petty, I know. Uh, Bradford 3, Sutton 1, Col- Colchester 4, Crewe Alexandra 0, Hartlepool 1, Stevenage 1, Leighton Orient 2, Harrogate 2, Doncaster 1, Grimsby 2, Tranmere 1, Swindon 0, Paul Sterrett, your boys just continues to let us down. Stockport 4, Newport County 0, Mansfield Town 1, Rochdale 1, Northampton Town 2, Gillingham 1, AFC Wimbledon two, Salford three, Barrow four, Crawley nil, Walsall nil, Carlisle nil, League table, Leighton Orient top, eight points clear, and they've got a game in hand. Newport and Stockport are currently in the automatic playoff spots because remember three go up automatically, but Carlisle and Stevenage are level on points with Stockport and Stevenage for a game in hand. So very, very tight at the top there. Then it's Bradford in sixth, Salford in seventh. They'd be the last playoff team as things currently stand. But Mansfield are a spot below them, one point behind with the game in hand. So with a bit of luck, the season could end with Gary Neville crying, which would be great. Uh, Barrow ninth, Sutton tenth, Tranmere eleventh, Swindon twelfth, Walsall 13th, then we go Grimsby, Doncaster, Crew, AFC Wimbledon, Newport, Gillingham, Colchester, Harrogate, 10, Harrogate Town, Hartley Poo, Crawley Town, and Rochdale. So Crawley and Rochdale at the moment will be the two teams heading down to the National League. And in the National League, we had one massive game yesterday, but we'll get through the others first. Uh, Scunthorpe nil, Oldham 2, York City nil, Halifax Town 3. Maidstone nil, Barnet nil. Yeovil nil, Dorking one. Uh, Wheelstone against Sullyhull Moors moores was postponed. Dagenham and Redbridge nil, Chesterfield one. Bromley one, Boreham Wood one. Woking one, End one. Maidenhead one, Torquay three. Altrincham nil, Gateshead one. Eastley three, Aldershot three. And in the big game of the weekend there, Wrexham three, Notts County three. Two, John Bostock, if you remember him, he was the kid that came through at Crystal Palace, was going to be the next big thing of English football, superbly talented young player, Uh, went to Spurs for 750 grand, I think, as a 16 or 17-year-old. Sorry, tell a lie, as a 15-year-old. He'd made his debut at 15, at 16, he moved to Spurs for 750 grand. Played only four games for Tottenham, uh, despite spending five years at the club. Had loans at Brentford, Hull, Sheffield Wednesday, Swindon and Toronto FC. Left and went on a bit of a journeyman expedition around Europe. Played for Royal Antwerp, O.H. Loven. Lens was quite good for them. Uh, went to Burzaspor in Turkey. Went to Toulouse. Then he came back to England for a loan with Nottingham Forest, and he spent a year with Doncaster, and now he's with Notts County. Uh, Still only 31. Still only 31. 25 caps for England at under-17 level, which will tell you how early he got capped for them. He, He was incredibly talented, and for some reason, he just never quite put it all together. And his career went in the way it wasn't meant to go. But he's still playing and he's still enjoying his football and, you know, scored a goal for Knott's County and hopefully he'll help them get promoted. Looks like it'll have to be through the playoffs, but such as life. He put Knott's County one up. Paul Mullen equalized, Jacob Mendy put Wrexham 2-1 up, Kyle Cameron equalized to make it 2-2, and Elliot Lee scored for Wrexham to give them the 3-2 win. Um, Notts County also missed a penalty in this game. Now, for the life of me, I can't think who took it or who missed it, but I remember, or I know that it was uh, Ben Foster, Ray Foster, Ben Foster, who saved it. Um, for the life of me, I can't remember who, who missed the penalty. But uh, yeah, big, big moment for Ben Foster. So top of the league is Wrexham, now three points clear of Knott's County. Plus, they have a the game in hand. 103 points to 100. Flat. Then it's a 24-point gap to Woking. Then Chesterfield, Barnett, Borehamwood, Eastleigh, Bromley, Southend United, Dagenham, Redbridge, Solihull, Moors, Wheelstone, Altrincham, Halifax, Oldham, Gateshead, York, Maidenhead, Dorking, Aldershot, Torquay, Yeovil, Scunthorpe and Maidstone. It looks like Maidstone will be the one who end up bottom. They're nine points behind the Scunthorpe, and they've only got three games left. Uh, we'll move on to the news. Uh, bad news for Leeds continues to just mount. You'll all remember the curious case of Jean-Kevin Augustine. So if you don't, let me give you a brief summary of what happened. Leeds were in the championship in the 2019-20 season. And in the January of that season... In a bid to help their promotion push, they signed John Kevin Augustine on loan with an obligation to buy if they were promoted to the Premier League. Leeds, of course, got promoted to the Premier League. Now, John Kevin Augustine barely played for them. I think he played about 48 minutes. Yeah, 48 minutes. So, Because of COVID, the season ended after the original agreement on the loan had ended. So Leeds had sent him back. His loan was until, I think, I want to say the 30th of June, from whatever date in January to the 30th of June, which is generally the end of the football year. So Leeds sent him back and then went on to you know, clinch promotion and whatever. Leipzig said, well, hang on a second. There was no provision in the contract for COVID for a pandemic. So you got promoted. You're going to buy him. Leeds said, no, we're not. Leipzig said, well, we don't want him anymore. And Leeds said, we don't want him either. So John Kevin Augustine became a free agent. So that's the part to consider that he becomes a free agent. The contract that Leeds have agreed with him when he signs on loan with an obligation to buy was due to kick in if they got promoted and signed him. But Leeds said, well, we didn't get promoted while you were here. It happened afterwards. So on your bike, on your go. So, Leipzig said, Well, we're not settling for this. You owe us 18 million. Eventually, they settled on 15.5 million. So Leeds paid Leipzig 15.5 million for a player that played 48 minutes for them and then they just sent away. He went on to sign for Nantes, spent two years there. He now plays for Basel in uh, Switzerland. However, he then said, hang on a second, I have an agreement with Leeds for a five-year contract at 80 grand a week. And just because they've decided that they don't want me or that they're trying to hold some shenanigans to get away from having to pay for me, I still signed the contract with them. And they've agreed to pay Leipzig their fee, not the whole fee, but some of the fee. So he brought a case against Leeds and that has now been settled. And Leeds have to pay him 24.5 million pounds. So rather than just keep him and, you know, loan him and or try and sell him, Leeds have now had to pay 40 million quid for a player they didn't get use of. 40 million quid between the fee to Leipzig and the wages to him. $40 All because Victor Orta wouldn't put his foot down with Bielsa. Because Bielsa got him and was like, I don't want him, whatever, away. Don't want him involved. And Victor Orta just made an absolute hames of things. So, I've said this before, Leeds need to be ridding themselves of Victor Orta. He's not good at his job. And this is damning. Like, 40 million is a lot of money for any club. For a club like Leeds that could potentially get relegated this season, that is disastrous. And you would hope, you would hope that the owners are going to pull Orta and say, right, we've been through this once. Now what? Now what? Absolutely shocking. 40 million quid. He's a good player as well. He would have helped them. But he's been able to go and get, you know, wages from Nonce and now from Basel. Spent two years at Nonce, saw his contract, and now now on a three-year deal uh, with Basel. So he he's happier. Now. now he's quids in because Leeds are going to have to pay him $24.5 because Victor Orta and whoever else are idiots. Uh, Alex Baena says he has received death threats following an assault after Real Madrid versus Villarreal. So if you haven't seen this, um, Alex Baena is a player for young player for Villarreal, a really, really talented player. And he filed a complaint with the police after being assaulted following Villarreal's win over Real in Real at the weekend. Now, if you haven't heard, what basically happened was Federico Valverde waited for him after the game out where the buses are, and or underneath the stand where the buses are, and punched him in the head. The reason for this is Baena has not once but twice made disgusting comments about Valverde's family. And Valverde warned him the first time, if you ever say anything like that again, I'm going to punch you. And he said it again, so he punched him. Now, Valverde is going to get himself in trouble here, obviously. Now facing a police investigation, he might be subject to some sort of a ban, and there will probably be a fine involved somewhere. Um But Baena has made himself look really poor. Really, really poor here. And um he says he's received death threats. That's obviously out of line. That's that's a step too far without question, but just keep your mouth closed. Keep your mouth closed. Don't don't entice the fella. Don't incite him. Don't don't try and start a fight with a fella who would legitimately kick your arse. Like just don't do it. And then you won't get punched in the face. Simple as that. Um I think that's all we've got in terms of news. That's all we've got for today. Tomorrow we'll have a look around the European leagues. Uh, We'll do the gossip then. Paris Saint-Germain has stepped up their interest in Jude Bellingham. They have also got interest in Hakim Zayic. don't really understand why they would have interest in Hakim Zayic. He's a good player. He's not good enough for them. Carlo Ancelotti will be considered by Chelsea for a second spell as manager if he leaves Real after this season. It could make sense. Carlo is very good at putting, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Fiorentina are willing to listen to offers for Sofian Amrabat this summer. Makes sense. He wanted to leave after the World Cup. They've held on to him. They've had a really good run of form in the second half of the season. And right now, they're probably favourites to win the Conference League. Um, but, yeah, the summer's the right time to sell. Former Manchester United boss Olly Gunnar Solskjaer has been included on the shortlist for the vacant manager's job at Club Bruges. So having appointed Scotty Tucoats, who was a disaster there, now they are considering Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I, that... That just screams to me that you don't know what you're doing. It really does. Parker was awful there. Parker's done more in his managerial career to warrant that job than Oli. And Parker had done very little to warrant that job. PSG have dashed Real Madrid's hopes of signing Kylian Mbappe by declaring they will not sell him until the summer of 2024. Uh, Wales midfielder Aaron Ramsey has played enough games to activate a one-year contract extension at Nice, but they are in talks over a longer deal. AC Milan will not offer a new contract to 41-year-old Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Well, We'll wait and see on that one. Manchester City's Etihad has been chosen ahead of Old Trafford as one of the 10 stadiums to form part of the British and Irish bid to host Euro 2028. It makes sense. It's a, it's a better stadium. It's in a better location. The transport links are better. The facilities are just better. That makes sense to me. Um, Aston Villaron in talks with Ollie Watkins over a New Deal, fully deserved, been in great form this season. Final coach Arnie Slot is an outside candidate for the Tottenham job. Sam Allardyce had emerged as a surprise candidate for Leicester, but it it's too late for everybody now. Uh, Newcastle are interested in Yuri Tielemans. He, he, he's a little bit too slow-footed for that Newcastle midfield. Marcelo Bielsa has agreed to become the new coach of Uruguay. I couldn't be more excited by anything in football. This is magnificent. Bielsa with Valverde, Ugarth, Bentoncourt, Darwin Nunez. That is going to be loads of fun. Matteo Rotegi, who is on loan at Tigre from Argentine rivals uh, Boca Juniors, says his next club will be in Europe after scoring on his Italy debut against England. Eintracht Frankfurt and Inter Milan want to sign. That's according to the spoof with the catchphrase, so we'll see. Uh Luis Campos should keep his job as Paris Saint-Germain's football advisor this summer even if Christophe Galtier is sacked. Uh, Galtier I would imagine heavily regrets the decision to take that job. Liverpool are preparing for a summer rebuild with Ar- Aurelien Tchouameni high on the agenda. If he did become available I would I would bet money that Liverpool would be interested because they wanted him so so much last summer. Uh, Newcastle and West Ham are the front runners to sign Wolf Zaha on a free this summer. I would imagine Newcastle probably are ahead in that race, given you know where they're going and where West Ham are. Newcastle have also been long-term admirers of Scott McTominay, but Manchester United want at least at least fifty million for the Scotland midfielder. He isn't worth thirty million, let alone at least fifty million. Get to fuck. <laughs> Victor Osserman has emerged as a target for Manchester United and Chelsea. Well, if Scott McTominay is at least 50 million, Victor Osserman is at least 300 million to you, Manchester United. Um, United hope, United's hopes of signing Harry Kane have been boosted by Bayern Munich's reluctance to get involved in a bidding war. Arsenal are interested in signing Ridley Baku. He's a decent player. Former Leeds boss Jesse Marsh agreed to take over. Oh, he had agreed to take over at Leicester, and then it all fell apart. Uh, scouts from Manchester United, Tottenham, Brighton, Leicester, West Ham, and Brentford watched Turkey midfielder Orkin Koku and Mexico forward Santiago Jimenez in action for Feyenoord against Ajax, two very, very talented players. Paris Saint-Germain are still hopeful of agreeing a new deal with Lionel Messi, uh Premier League executives are discussing plans to broadcast live matches via their own platform rather than through broadcast partners. Now, not to toot my own horn, but I've been saying this for two years. If you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard me say this. This is what they should do. This is what they should do. You can still sell packages to Sky or BT or Amazon. But you host most of the games on your own platform. Get into a partnership with one of the streaming services, maybe with Amazon. Maybe you just go in with Amazon and you create a whole new streaming service. But this is this is good news for football fans. Ex Chelsea and Brighton boss Graham Potter wants to become the next at Hampton manager if they remain in the Premier League. That surprises me, but I can understand him wanting to move back to the south coast. Uh, let me just go back one sec. The reason it it, the Premier League hosting the games on their own platform is a good thing, is because they're cutting out the middleman, and all the money goes to them, which means they can charge a much lower fee than what Sky and BT charge. Because when remember, Sky and BT are also charging for all the other crap that they show, but it's you know they're paying so much for the Premier League, and they don't have nearly as big a viewer base as the Premier League can get because they can just do it all themselves. So, this this should mean that the cost of watching games drops significantly. Uh, Barcelona are open to offers for Ansu Fati, Rafinha and Ferran Torres. Aston Villa are planning to break their transfer record again this summer with another huge spending spree. It is... Football insider. It is Wayne Wayne VC. So probably Tripe to be fair. Uh, Liverpool and Chelsea will try to sign Alexis McAllister. Crystal Palace are looking at Jack Clark as a potential replacement for Louis Sa- for for Will Saha. Uh, he's not ready for that kind of role. He's he's been really good for uh, Sunderland this year. but He's not ready for that. Um, Usman Dembele will hold new talks over. No, sorry, Usman Dembele's contract talks have stopped as Barcelona are unable to offer him a pay rise because of their financial mess. Barca are monitoring the progress of Arda Guler at Fenabachi, super talented midfielder, but they can't afford him. Saudi Arabian club Al Halal are working to sign Sergio Ramos as a free agent this summer. It's about the right level for him. Watford's English left-back Harry Amas is set to join Manchester United despite interest from Chelsea and Manchester City. West Ham will look to appoint David uh, Rafa Benitez if they sack David Moyes before the end of the season. Again, it's Peter Rourke, so probably spoofing, but could see it for certain. Uh, former Leeds manager Jesse Marsh decided to take the blessed gel. It's fine. AC Milan have added following and Baligan, was at loan... On loan at Reims from Arsenal to the list of targets this summer. Um, Tottenham have registered an interest in Hakim Zayic, I doubt it. Manchester United are keeping tabs on Gabriel Viega before a potential summer move. United have also put Moises Caicedo and Alex McAllister on their shortlist. Uh, Karim Benzema wants to stay at Real Madrid for at least one more season after turning down and off from Saudi Arabia, that makes sense. Uh, Nicola Borella could be available for $44 million, but Liverpool and Chelsea interested. He's he's tremendous. United have held positive talks with Monaco over Axel de Sassi. Um, They could definitely use someone with his pace in that backline, so yeah, that's fair. Um, Manchester United could turn their attention towards Benjamin Pivard. If Byron beat them to the signing of Jeremy Frimpong, I'd love to see Byron get Frimpong. Frimpong at Bayern on the opposite flank to Alfonso Davies would be spectacular. Uh, Spain goalkeeper David Rea will not sign a new deal at Brentford, who are set to ask for about £35 million from this summer. That's too much, but I i think someone will pay it. Philippe Coutinho is exploring options for an Aston Villa exit with a return to Inter Milan possible. I I doubt that's possible, but, you know, Saudi Arabia awaits. Everton have yet to make a decision on the long-term future of Conor Cody. I would imagine the fact that one of the first things Daesh did was bid him off to the bench. Probably means he's not going to be part of the plan. Uh, Bologna are competing with Leicester to sign Birmingham's 18-year-old Welsh midfielder Jordan James. Bologna have done really well at picking up talented players uh, from England on the cheap in recent years, and I think he'd fit the bill for them. Adrian Rabio says he will, will wait to the summer to discuss a new deal with Juve. I, I, okay. Uh, Borussia Dortmund's 33-year-old Germany winger Marco Reus, whose contract expires this summer, is set to sign a new deal despite having to take, take a pay cut. He wants to stay there forever, so I think he'll take whatever they offer him. Xavi Hernandez wants Sergio Busquets to stay at least one more year at Barcelona before joining an MLS club. The time is now. The time is now. He can't run anymore. He's still great on the ball, but he can't run. Last page of gossip then. Aston Villa are interested in signing Calvin Phillips from Manchester City. Uh, Again, Wayne Vesey likely spoofing doesn't really make sense Unless Kamara was leaving. Because I don't see Kamara and Phillips as a great fit together. Maybe, though. I don't know. Uh, England defender Ben Chilwell has set to sign a new four-year deal at Chelsea. Lionel Messi's father, who's also his agent, has met with Barcelona, but no transfer proposal was offered because they have no money and can't sign anybody. Uh, Marco Royce taking a pay cut. West Ham are monitoring Aaron wan Saka. Arsenal are open to selling Foller and Balogun. I think hes it's more like he's forcing them to sell him because he doesn't want to sit on the bench. Arsenal and Chelsea have opened linked with Ridley Baku. Chelsea are hoping to sign Ja Felix on a permanent deal. I i don't think he's going to end up staying there. Newcastle want to sign Ja Pedro. That would be a great signing. That would genuinely be a great signing. Uh, Brighton are hopeful of agreeing a new contract with Evan Ferguson despite strong interest in Manchester United and Tottenham he'll stay there for the next few years without question Liverpool want to sign Alex Scott this summer but West Ham and Wolves are also interested I think he'd be a really good get for Liverpool Brighton are interested in Reese Nelson whose contract expires at the end of the season he'd be a clever pickup. he'd be a clever pickup who fits into what they do um, Arsenal are monitoring Ryan Gravenberch Uh, Leeds have been forced to pay money for John Kevin Augustine. And finally, Barcelona are set to offer 19-year-old Spanish defender Alejandro Balde a new contract. But Chelsea remain interested in signing him at the end of the season. He is mega talented. He's one of the best young left-backs anywhere in the world. Uh, His contract is up in 2024. If Barca can't get a deal done for whatever reason, they might have to sell him. I think they'd be devastated if they had to sell him because he's been so good this season. And their defence looks so much better with him in it because of his pace that uh, I think it'd be a huge blow if they were to lose him. Him, Gavi, Pedri and Ansu Fati should be the four. Plus Ronald Arrejo and Jules Conde that they've brought in. Those are the players they should be building around moving forward. They've I know they're probably going to win the league this year, but they've they've done this badly and they've just, they keep, they're selling their future to pay for now. And I think it's going to end badly for them. But yeah, that's it. That's all I've got for today, folks. Thanks as always. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Network.